Chapter Nine, Part Two of the Rock of Chickamauga. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The Rock of Chickamauga by Joseph A. Altshieler. Chapter Nine: The Open Door, Part Two. Dick now found that his plans were going wrong. He could wander about almost at will, and to anyone to whom he spoke, he still claimed to be a Tennessean. But he knew that it could not last forever. Sooner or later, some officer would question him closely, and then his tale would be too thin for truth. Unable to make a way toward the river, he returned to the slopes and ravines, where they were digging the caves, and then fortune, which had been smiling upon him, turned its face the other way. A small man in butternut and an enormous felt hat passed near. He did not see Dick, but his very presence gave the lad a shiver. He believed afterward that before he saw him, he had felt the proximity of Slade. The man, carrying a rifle, was hurrying toward the center of the town, and Dick, after one long look, hurried at equal speed the other way. He knew that Slade, if he saw him, would recognize him at once. Dusk and a muddy uniform would not protect him. It was his idea now to go down through the ravines and make another trial toward the south. He saw ahead of him a line of entrenchments, which he was resolved to pass in some fashion, but the face of fortune was still away from him. The unknown officers, who at any time might ask too many questions, appeared. A captain, a sun-browned alert man, stopped him at the edge of the bushes which clothed the slopes of the ravine. "'Your regiment?' he asked sharply. "'Tennessee regiment, sir,' replied Dick, afraid to mention any number, since the officer might be a Tennessean himself and would want further identification. But the man was not to be put off. Dick judged from his uniform that he was a colonel, and demanded sharply his regiment's number and his business. The lad mumbled something under his breath, hopeful that he would pass on, but the officer stepped forward, looked at him closely, and then suddenly turned back the collar of his army jacket, disclosing a bit of the underside yet blue. Thunderation! A Yankee spy! he exclaimed. Dick always believed that his life was due to a sudden and violent impulse, or rather a convulsive jerk, because he had no time to think. He threw off the officer's hand, dashed his fist into his face, and without waiting to see the effect, ran headlong among the bushes down the side of the ravine. He heard a shouting behind him, the reports of several shots, the rapid tread of feet, and he knew that the manhunt was on. He had all the instincts of the hunted to seek cover, and the night was his friend. But few lights glimmered in that portion of Vicksburg, and in many parts of the ravine the bushes were thick. He darted down the slope at great speed, then turned and ran along its side, still keeping well under cover. Where the shadows were darkest and the bushes thickest, he paused, panting. He heard his pursuers calling to one another, and he also heard the excited voices of people in the ravine. The civilians had been aroused by the shops so close by, and he thought the confusion would help him. He stood in the deep shadow, his breath gradually growing easier, and then he started down the ravine, coming to a little path that led along the side of the slope. He noticed a dark opening, and as the voices of pursuers were now coming nearer, he popped into it, trusting to blind luck. 
Dick had thought it was a mere washout or deep recess, but at the third step his foot struck upon a carpet, and he saw ahead a dim light. He paused, amazed, and then he remembered that he had heard about the civilians digging caves for shelter from the shells and bonds. Evidently some forethoughtful man had prepared his cave early. Uncertain what to do, he did nothing, pressing his back against the earth and listening. No sound came, and the dim light still flickering ahead reassured him. The opening through which he had come was large and admitted plenty of fresh air. As he stood four or five feet from the entrance, he saw several soldiers hurrying along the path, and he knew they were hunting for him. He realized then his fortune in finding this improvised cave house. After the soldiers passed, he walked gently toward the light. Apparently the regular occupants were gone away for the time, and he might find a hiding place there until it was safe to go out. The passage was narrow, but the carpet was still under his feet, and further in the sides and roof of the earthen walls had been covered with planks. The light grew brighter, and he was quite sure that a room of some size was just ahead. His curiosity became so great that it smothered all apprehension, and he stepped boldly into the room, where the lamp burned on a table. He would have stepped back as quickly, but a pair of great burning eyes caught his and held them. A bed was standing against the board wall of the cave, and in this bed lay an old man with a huge, bald head, immense white eyebrows, and the eyes of extraordinary intensity. Once more did Colonel Charles Woodville and Richard Mason stare into the eyes of each other, and for a long time neither spoke. "'I managed to escape from Jackson with my little family,' said the Colonel at length, and I thought that in this, so to say, sylvan retreat, I might drop all undesirable acquaintances that I made there. The whole scene was grotesque and wild to Dick. It was like a passage out of the Arabian Nights, and an extraordinary spirit of recklessness seized him. I appreciate your words, sir, he said, and I can understand your feelings. I have felt myself that it was never wise to go where one might not be welcome and yet chance plays us such tricks that neither your wish nor mine is granted. The old man then raised his head a little higher on the pillow. A spark leaped from the burning eyes. A lad of spirit, he said. I would not withhold praise where praise is due. I recall meeting someone who resembled you very much. Perhaps a brother of yours, eh? No, he was not my brother. Well, it does not matter, and we will not pursue the subject. How does it happen that you have come into this hillside castle of mine? Young Mason saw a flicker of amusement in the eyes of the old man. He was aware that in his muddy uniform he made no imposing figure, but his spirit was as high as ever, and the touch of recklessness was still there. I saw some men coming down the path, he replied, men with whom I do not care to associate, and I turned aside to avoid them. I beheld the open door and stepped within, but I did not know the chamber was occupied, and it was far from my purpose to intrude upon you or anyone. I trust, sir, that you will believe me. The lad took off his cap and bowed. His face was now revealed more clearly, and it was a fine one, splendidly moulded, intellectual, and with noble blue eyes. After all, despite the mud and stains, he made a graceful figure, as he stood there, so obviously confident of himself. But respectful the spark leaped again from the eyes of Colonel Woodville and Remembering something there was a slight warmth about the heart 
which lately had been so cold and bitter i do not blame you he said a lad one in his formative years cannot be too careful about his associates doubtless you were justified in taking advantage of the open door but now that you are here may i ask you what you purpose next to do i admit sir that the question is natural replied dick suiting his tone and manner to those of the old man i have scarcely had time yet to form a purpose but since the danger of contamination of which we spoke still exists it occurs to me that perhaps i might stay here a while is there some nook or a cover in which i might rest i hope i do not trespass too much upon your hospitality colonel woodville pondered his great white eyebrows were drawn together and for a moment or two he gazed down the beak of his nose i confess he said that the appeal to hospitality moves me i am stirred somewhat too by pleasant recollections of the lad who looked like you but wait my daughter is coming we will confer with her margaret is a most capable woman dick heard a light step in the passage and he wheeled quickly miss woodville was before him a plain elderly figure in a plain black dress with a basket on her arm the basket contained a fowl and some eggs which she had just bought at a great price when she saw dick her hand flew to her throat but when the pulse ceased to beat so hard it came away and she looked at him fixedly then a slow smile like the dawn spread over her severe worn face come in margaret and put down your basket said the colonel in a genial tone meanwhile bid welcome to our unexpected guest a young man of spirit and quality with whom i was holding converse before you came he does not wish to go out tonight because there are many violent men abroad and he would avoid them then he turned to dick and asked in a tone sharp and commanding i have your word young sir that your unexpected visit to our city was not of a secret nature that is it was not of a lawless character an accident sir an accident pure and simple i answer you on my honor i have seen nothing and i shall not seek to see anything which i should not see margaret continued the colonel and now his tone became deferential as behooved a gentleman speaking to a lady shall we ask him to share our simple quarters tonight the lad slowly turned his gaze to the face of the woman he felt with all the power of intuition that his fate rested on her decision but she was a woman and she was too a true daughter of her father a kindred spark leaped up in her own soul and she met dick's gaze she noted his fearless poise and she saw the gallant spirit in his eye then she turned to her father i think you wish him to stay sir she said and the wish seems right to me our narrow quarters limit our hospitality in quality but not in intent we can offer him nothing but the little alcove behind the blanket she inclined her head toward the blanket which dick had not noticed before it hung near the bed and wishing to cause his household little trouble he said then i assume that you will shelter me for the night and if i may i will go at once to my room colonel woodville lowered his head upon the pillow and laughed softly a lad of spirit a lad of spirit i repeat he said no margaret you and i could not have turned him from our earthen roof dick bowed to miss woodville and that little ghost of a tender smile flitted about her thin lips then he lifted the blanket stepped into the dark and let the curtain fall behind him he stood for a space until his eyes used to the dusk 
could see dimly it was a tiny room evidently used as a place of storage for clothing and bedding but there was space enough for him to lie down if he bent his knees a little the strain upon both muscle and nerve had been very great and now came collapse removing his shoes and outer clothing he dropped upon a roll of bedding and closed his eyes but he was grateful deeply and lastingly grateful the bread that he had cast upon the waters was returning to him fourfold he heard low voices beyond the blanket and he did not doubt that they were those of colonel woodville and his daughter the woman in plain black with a basket on her arm had seemed a pathetic figure to him he could not blame them for feeling such intense bitterness what were the causes of the war to people who had been driven from a luxurious home to a hole in the side of a ravine he slept and when he woke it seemed to be only a moment later but he knew from the slender edge of light appearing where the blanket just failed to touch the floor that morning had come he moved gently lest he disturb his host in the larger room without and then he heard the distant thunder which he knew was the booming of grant's great guns and so the night had not stopped them all through the hours that he slept the cannon had rained steel and death on vicksburg then came a great explosion telling him that a shell had burst somewhere near it was followed by the voice of colonel woodville raised in high indignant tones can't they let a gentleman sleep must they wake him with one of their infernal shells he heard a slight rustling sound and he knew that it was the great bald head moving impatiently on the pillows inferring that it was early he would have gone back to sleep himself but slumber would not come he remained a while thoughtful for his future lay very heavy upon him and then he heard the sound of several voices beyond the blanket he listened closely trying to number and distinguish them there were three and two belonged to colonel woodville and his daughter the third repelled and puzzled him it seemed to have in it a faint quality of the fox it was not loud and yet that light snarling sinister note was evident the sensitive attuned mind can be easily affected by a voice and the menace of the unknown beyond the blanket deepened dick felt a curious prickling at the roots of his hair he listened intently but he could not understand anything that was spoken and then he drew himself forward with great caution they must be talking about something of importance because the voices were earnest and sometimes all three spoke at once he reached a slow hand toward the blanket the danger would be great but he must see he drew back the blanket slightly a quarter of an inch maybe and looked within the room then he saw the owner of the sinister voice and he felt that he might have known from the first slade standing before colonel woodville's bed his hat in his hand was talking eagerly end of chapter 9 part 2